Hey guys, it's Robert Gardner with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. I'm very fortunate to have what I think of as an expert in the massage industry, Robert Norbacek. I hope I pronounced his name correctly. Um, he did. is inordinately good at discussing business information and entrepreneurship. I think particularly for spas and maybe fledgling organizations that are trying to build. I have a tendency to focus more on independent practitioners, but I'm really anxious to get some information from Robert to share with our followers. So, uh, Robert Norbacek, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I got into the spa industry originally as a salesperson. I was a salesperson for a daily deal company, and some of my favorite businesses to work with were massage companies. Uh, that all abruptly came to an end when my wife and I both were laid off. She was an assisted living manager, and I was a, uh, the sales manager. We were laid off uh, 72 hours apart. We went from basically not making, we went from living a perfect Life, middle management lifestyle to nothing in 72 hours. So we decided to become entrepreneurs. And in 2014, uh, we took our life savings, bought a failing day spa. It was a two-room, one esthetician business with about 12 years of history, but it was severely losing money. And we took a leap of faith on ourselves. And in three and a half years, we took that business from one esthetician to more than 20 therapists. We were doing, uh, at its peak, $75,000 in a single month, more than 600 appointments. And uh, then we decided to sell the business at the end of 2017 for personal reasons. And um, so that, that's our quick little journey in 30 seconds. Wow. So, uh, Robert, if you don't mind my prying, um, when that business was sold, I think you said earlier to me privately that the business um, collapsed. Did you have any information about that? And then was it because of the business dealings, like you had it sort of ironed down and the new ownership couldn't handle that? Or do you mind talking about that? I mean, I. Uh, I can't go into much details. Um, we okay. did 30 days training as we were requested. And um, after that point, uh, we actually moved to Spain. So I lost contact okay. and I lost a lot of intel. Um, yeah. I found out from my staff that the business closed uh, 12 months later. So wow. it, it, I, I don't know the exact details. Um, I do know there was a lot of changes that happened throughout the time after I left. Um, yeah. When you run a business at that scale, um, Things happen at scale very fast, and if you're not um, optimizing every step of the way, those mistakes can become very costly very quickly. Something as silly as our petty cash could be three to four hundred dollars a week, and if you're not watching that closely, you can burn through that in a day, and now that petty cash turns into a thousand dollars a week, and over a course of a month, that's two thousand dollars. That could be twenty percent of your profit. So when you operate a business at scale of this magnitude, um, it is challenging. It, it is it's a it's a very detailed oriented process because you you're making sure that you're maximizing every step of the way. And yeah. so I don't know exactly what happened after I left. Unfortunately, I wasn't there to help them. What I'm what I'm mainly wondering about isn't that specific business. It's more like the difference between success and failure. And what that means at scale for a spa-related business, which, again, isn't my specialty, even though I know some general marketing principles. I read your posts in the Massage Entrepreneurs Group, and you're one of the posters who I think provides the most value of anyone that I see consistently that I wish your stuff was going viral in our group because – 
the information that you're giving them is so niche down. Um, I can tell that you know the business from the inside. It's not like you came in from outside and you know didn't understand the principles. It, it's interesting because I did when I when I first came into the business. I truly and, and and the most shocking part I think about me is I actually don't get too many massages. I don't I don't know anything about much mouth massages. Um, I know enough to be lethal at the front desk. I know how to sell somebody a package. Um, and I know how to book people and I know how to handle the operation side of it. But when it comes to the massage side of things, um, I can't tell you who's a good massage therapist. My wife hired everybody. Um, she's the one who did all the interviews. I, I don't get massages myself and I'm probably one of the least taking care of people in my head of all the people I know. But, um, when it comes to the operations, I think that's where I lived, eat and breathe that business. Um, I, when it comes to, when you say growing a business of that size, um, it really just comes down to the front end operations. You have to be maximizing your marketing. Um, you have to know when to run with them, when to run with a strategy, when to cut a strategy, when to pivot with a strategy. Uh, we, for example, our whole business revolved about 80% around Google ads. We would be able to drive about 200, 200 new clients every single month Um it wasn't that way always. We started with a small budget, but by the end, when we were doing the 600 appointments a month, um, we were driving 200 new clients for, and our monthly budget, which is probably scary for a lot of people, was $3,500 on ads. Um, but if I'm taking $3,500 and I'm producing $22,000 worth of instant business, yep. well, I, the only reason I didn't put more money into that marketing is because I was running out of therapists. I was running out of rooms. Um, otherwise I would have kept putting more money into it because it was producing $8 of money for every dollar I spent. It it was a no brainer. The, the investment, a lot of, because I work with therapists in private practice who are maybe trying to, you know, quit their other job so they can focus on private practice. That's a little bit more my, uh, focus when it comes to students and working with therapists, One of the things that happens is they're investing time, but not money, because typically they don't have money to Mm -hmm. be able to invest initially. I have to kind of get them to do, you know, sweat equity to build, build, build until they start to have the problems of like, how do I invest the money now to be able to get it to return? In some ways, I see it as a very organic sort of simple process, but the devil's always in the details when you actually try to do it yourself. Um, I have a tendency for you know Google ads or any kind of ads that we run. You know, I hire someone to take care of components of that. I go and find someone who's an expert like you to help me with those pieces because I don't think it's a good idea for me to try to be a jack of all trades and master of none. It's like I need to be able to focus on the stuff I'm good at and then outsource the pieces that I'm not quite sure of. And even trying to figure out ads at a sort of scalable um, rate um, is something that's a little bit daunting because the business can easily just fall over if you outstrip your ad budget. Oh, without a doubt. You know, I think one of the most important things is to understand the basics. Um, Whenever you want to outsource anything, I think it's important to at least have a grasp of the fundamentals of it. Um, Most most platforms nowadays, Facebook ads, Google ads, um, even organic stuff, there's enough blog posts, there's enough content on the internet that you can get a fundamental basis. And if you're an individual therapist, you don't need crazy volume. Um, you're, You're playing a game to a race of 100 clients a month. 
Um, yep. So you you can do small budgets, and at small budgets, you don't need an expert. Um, you the biggest thing you need to focus at is if you're not hiring an expert, is you're maximizing the back end of that ad. Um, so what do I mean by the back end of the ad is if you do get a customer from your ad, make sure you're focusing on the retention, on the quality service, on getting them back. Um, if you don't get them back, that customer's worth $100. If you do get them back, that customer's worth $3,600 a year um, or more. So yep. if you're spending $100 a month, you're going to spend $1,200 for the year. If you only get one client that whole year, you spent $1 and made $3. I love that number. It's not it's not super great, but hey, I turned one dollar into three. That's that's amazing. Um, yeah. And so, if you can figure out how to maximize the backside of of, of an ad, um, then everything else becomes a lot easier as well. Because then you do have the money to invest. Then you do realize the power of any investment, and then you can realize that it's worthy of scaling. Yeah. With, with so many uh, advertising platforms now, massage therapists, I think, are a little overwhelmed when I talk about social media. You know, it's like, oh, no, I can run Facebook ads, I can run Google ads, I can put something in the newspaper, a magazine, a billboard, you know, uh, newsletters, mailers. I don't think any of the what I would think of as like older forms of marketing and advertising are gone, but we started added complexity because there's more channels now. Um, when they ask me like, well, where should I advertise? They'll ask a question that basic and I go, the customers that you want to work with, where are they? Exactly. That's, if, that's if, they're the, stuck, if they're stuck in traffic in Houston, a billboard might be a great way. <laughs> but, you know, it's true. Instagram um, and social yeah. media from an organic level is easy to put out. And again, private practice, very little budget. So I'm usually trying to get them to leverage their sweat equity until they get to the ads, paid ads. Well, and that's the beautiful thing too. So if you know how to... Like if I have to bust my butt to get a client, I realize how much work I have to do, but I also realize that process of turning a prospect into a client. Um, social media organically, I think, is significantly different than building a business page. Um, business pages, in my opinion, are strictly there for um, ads. Because of the way social media has treated business pages as the money maker, um, they have killed all organic traffic. True organic yep. social media is you as a person, you as Robert, me as Robert, um, and any therapist as a therapist who is living their personal life. And so what you have to learn if you're doing organic is you have to learn how to build conversations. You have to learn how to do a 10-second elevator pitch, You know how to hook somebody within 10 seconds. Like I do awesome time massages that will alleviate back pain in 30 seconds. Um, yep. Something that will make somebody who your ideal client goes, oh, wait, that's me. Can you tell me more about that? And once yep. you figure out how to more or less become a social salesperson, because that's what it is, um, then when you start doing the ads, now all of a sudden you realize that the same person on the backside of those ads is the same person that you organically worked your butt off to find. Um, so there's no difference, and you already know how to do it. The only difference with ads is you're speeding up the whole entire process, and instead of getting in front of 100 people manually, you're getting in front of 10,000 people in a day automatically. Yep. I, I talk to therapists here locally in the Austin area because it's where I live and when I talk to the students about advertising and their reach, there is this just deep divide 
where they don't even collect like an email um, address on their website. And I'm like, guys, what are you like? Listen, I can't necessarily without doing a YouTube search or a Google search and tell you how to set up email capture. But if you're not getting an email address, you're really losing out. Let's say one in five people actually hits your website, makes an appointment. Three out of five people might give you an email address to get your little free course. And then you've got contact information to continue feeding them. You know, again, I always go back towards the sweat equity since that's what I know more. Um, it's only recently that I've started to deal with paid advertising myself. It's amazing to me that the therapists just think, oh, I have a website people are going to schedule. It's like there's a very complex set of funnels going on from paid ads, social media marketing, website, podcast, the interconnections uh, between all of those related to search engine optimization and backlinks. Um, when therapists tell me, well, email's dead. People don't check email. I go, ooh, guys, really? Like, yeah. it's almost free to build an email list and capture these people's information. If you realize how much money you, know, you were leaving on the table each month just because you're not getting potential clients' emails, like, they would you know, they would have figured it out a long time ago. Well, and the thing is, too, is not everybody's ready to buy right now, right? Yep. Um, websites have one big problem that, for the most part, so I consider myself a conversion rate optimization junkie. Um, and for anybody that doesn't understand that term is the number one metric in my business was how effective is my site? How many visitors can I turn into clients? Um even with all the tests I did, and I had a lot of traffic to my site, so I could run a lot of different little variations and see what works and what makes me more money or less money. Um, even with that, my net average was 6%. So that means it took me 100 website visitors to get six clients. And that was after years of testing and performing. I started at 1%. Um, so if you think about that, you have to get 100 people to your website to get one person to book. Um, and I'm talking about new clients. Re repeat customers are completely different. They, their, their numbers don't count because they're, they're already, they've already been through that one out of 100. So if you can capture an email, um, now you can continuously stay top of mind. Because if, you, if they leave your website, you're, you're out of their mind forever. Um, people are so short-term right now with Facebook, Instagram. I mean, it, they don't even remember what they saw scrolled past three minutes ago, and they're not going to yep. remember your business 10 minutes ago. So if you're not on top of their mind at all times, then there's a good probability that you might not be the company they decide when they finally decide to get a massage. And so email gives you a great opportunity, even, even if they don't buy from the email, but just the fact that it's in front of their face – because they still open the email, like 40% open rate, 30% open rate, 20% open rate, they still see your name. And the more times they see your name, the more times people actually like businesses. It's why yep. old school marketers will tell you it takes seven impressions um, to get a customer to like you. It's because that repetition builds false trust. Like The fact that they've seen your business multiple times means that, oh, well, I know that business. Even though they don't know you, they, it, it tricks the brain into thinking, okay, I know this business, so let me go ahead and do something about it. Email is great. Um, text messaging is very – the up-and-coming um, new platform is it's also very powerful. So either capture a phone number, capture an email, but if you capture one of those two, then you control the asset. 
Facebook doesn't no longer controls that customer. You, even if you get banned on Facebook, even if you can't run ads on Facebook, even if you get kicked off of Facebook, if you have an email, you have a phone number, you can still build a business. But if you don't have that yep. and you do get kicked off of Facebook, your business is gone. Direct, direct access. <clears throat> uh, we'll take just a quick break. Hey guys, you can pick up our workbook and DVD sets for Time Massage. We have 700 pages of sequence manuals and nine DVDs of core content available at robertgardnerwellness.com in the store. Also, you can try our free trial. We have 450 hours of my class recordings and instructions, including private trainings with apprentices. That information is available to you absolutely free. As a bonus, we're now giving you six hours of CE credit every six months. And again, your first month is absolutely free. It's $7 a month after that. You also get access to our private Facebook group to ask me questions and get answers. You can find all of that at Robert Gardner Wellness. Dot com. And I'm here with the expert in massage business and marketing, especially for, I think, uh, spas and clinics who are trying to scale. Uh, Robert Norbachek, I have a, a deep abiding respect for the post he puts on the Massage Entrepreneurs Group. Robert, can you tell people where they can find you or find out more information uh, about you? Yeah, so I mean, the easiest way, so we were just talking about it, social media. Um, a lot of the therapists who have talked to me before, um, the easiest way to find me is through Messenger or just on Facebook in the Massage Entrepreneur Group. About 90% of my content is there, and um, there's a few blog posts still up on boostmyspa.com. Cool. So, uh, Robert, did you want to continue what you were discussing before we went to break? In regards to the organic growth on social media, I, I you know I think the biggest thing is that custom, you have to realize that you need to start owning the assets, um, and an asset is a customer. So um, a lot of times when you hear therapists go out on their own, they, they say that businesses don't own customers, and they're and they're they're hundred percent correct. But that data that we own, that's the value in the business. So I would frequently send out an email blast. Um, and our email list was about, uh, I think about 5,000 and I would, um, I would make a thousand dollars every email blast because I would send out a, a one-time offer, a, a limited time scarcity offer. Yep. But if I didn't own that asset, I wouldn't be able to make that money. So yep. your assets are the data of your customers. It's why Facebook is worth billions of dollars. It's why Google's worth billions of dollars. And it's why Pinterest is worth billions of dollars. They have so much data on were. <clears throat> Yeah, I, f I forget what the numbers were. I'm sorry to interrupt. Where data surpassed oil in value, without a doubt, without yeah. a doubt. Um, it's actually scary to think about how much Facebook knows about us um, because of how much tracking there is on the internet. They know what you're browsing, when you're browsing, if you're likely to buy, if you're not likely to buy, um, and that data is what they sell, and that's what we pay for as marketers for advertising. 
And so as a small practice, um, the data, the more data you can collect about your customers, their email, their, their home address, you know, postcards, postcards still work today. Sending a thank you note yep. saying, I really appreciate you coming, trying us out. I would hope to see you again. Um, if you didn't retain the customer, those kind of little things is data and it's all valuable as long as you use it. From an organic level, I always think of it as engagement. I think when I first started dabbling in marketing in a more serious way, there were certain phrases like networking or marketing or engagement or social proof or whatever that I was kind of like, eh. But I learned over time that engagement in particular um, through organic social media, getting people to recognize my face, hear my voice, build trust, be able to have an actual digital conversation actually led to tangible cash and customers because you were willing to spend the time to engage with the marketplace. In my case, related to like chronic pain or issues people were having. It was like you were you know, broadcasting this message globally and saying, hey, if you have pain, let me try to help you out. Inevitably, I was able to monetize that in some form. So engagement is actually something that uh, fuels me, and it's something that I see less and less of from big box chains because large corporate entities can't necessarily connect with consumers in the way that individual therapists can. Well, and, and you're you're dead on with that analysis right there. So if you think about it, there's a big difference between Facebook engagement and customer engagement. Um, Facebook engagement is a metric. But customer engagement is what happens when somebody messages you privately and says, hey, listen, you know what? I have a herniated disc. Can you help me? That's engagement. That's real engagement. Um, with a large box store, they can't connect on a personal level. Um, they, they have a social media team that responds. And if you message them, they'll get it, you'll get a generic response. Somebody will be back to you in 24 to 48 hours. And that's the advantage that an individual therapist has is you can engage, actually ultimately become a salesperson. Um, and I know a lot of people that are going to hear this are going to freak out when they hear the word salesperson, but you are a salesperson at the moment when you're trying to convince somebody to trust you that you can help them. And um, so when you have a natural conversation with them, you're engaging with them as a salesperson and you're convincing them to try you. That's your advantage in this marketplace is you can do the one-on-ones. You have the time to do it because, again, you're not playing a game where I was playing, which I needed 600 appointments a month. You need 40 appointments a month, 50 appointments a month. Um, it's a completely different game. So you can beat me as a big business by doing the things I couldn't do. Yeah. Now, I, I think also big businesses are much more nimble than they think. Um, I've noticed as an industry, massage therapy in particular, there's something about larger companies where they – I literally feel like I'm an anarchist running into any business with a phone. Like they could sell tacos <laughs> and I come in and give them all this business ideas and they're like, what is this guy talking about? And it's because I've been able to leverage – being a jet ski and being able to turn quickly, whereas large businesses are like a tanker. They turn the wheel and it takes like three or four weeks to turn around. Um, being able to take advantages of digital distribution, uh, channel building, connection building, and engagement online was a huge shift in my business and the way I thought of massage therapy. And it's not that I'm not providing massage as a service. It's that primarily I was engaging in education of <clears throat> a potential client base. And what I see is 
spas and facilities aren't educating clients. They're not even educating clients about the benefits of their specific services. They can't. Um, you know, they when you look at a big business, everything, every component has to become replaceable. Um, the the reality is is a therapist needs to be plug and play, and it's when you're big business, not because it's not a respect for the industry, but because you can't build a sustainable business and um, actually be dependent on one person. So I'll give an example. I had the option to do eyelash extensions with one of my estheticians. She was really good at them, and I told her I can't let her do that. And the reason why is because she was the only one that could do it. So if she quits, she leaves, she gets pregnant and can't do the services. Now I'm stuck in a position where I have to find somebody. I have to train them. I have to get them up to par. I have to also hope that that the clients that were coming would go to the new person. Um, and that's too much risk. That's it's, It surrounds one person. So when you're a large business, you have to make plug-and-play components if you want to scale, because at any moment, any one of your any one of your components of your business can collapse, and you need to be able to plug the next thing in there. So that eliminates personality, that eliminates deviation, that eliminates one on one services um, to a certain extent for the most part, and it's because they need to do that. Yeah. Oh. You know when the you, biggest. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was, I was just going to say like the big. Biggest thing is is when you're when you're when you're doing these things like use that to your advantage if you're an individual therapist beat beat these big businesses by being unique you know do things outside the box do things that are unorthodox because they're playing the safe game they're playing the scale game and they can't do this so yep. if you want to like for example um, I don't know if Massage Envy yet does CBD. But these franchises, how long did it take them to get into the CBD? You know, when CBD was first coming out, it took them a year forever to get into it because it had to go through all the corporate approvals, had to go through all the lawyers, had to go through all this stuff. Meanwhile, it was completely fine. It's just, or even if it wasn't fine, you're not going to get caught as a small person. And even if you do get caught, it wouldn't be that big of a problem. Um, so for the franchises, they couldn't make that change that fast. But you can make that change fast. And that's how you get that leg up. You get to be unique. You get to be extraordinary. And that's how you stand out against them. It's so interesting to hear you say things that I think I understand conceptually, but you articulate it in such a clear way that I find more challenging. I'm assuming you've just had more time to be able to read marketing books and work with it, not only in this industry, but other industries, because it seems like such a clear path to me. You know, why do independents, or I say, why do massage therapists not get it? Like, what is the the divide? Because I struggle with massage entrepreneurs, and how do we continue to give free advice? But people feel like, like, do they not think that free has value just because it's in the form of information? Or like, what is the the divide that therapists don't understand of how they can storm the marketplace? I think one of the biggest challenges is that as a as a first time business owner, when you are going out on your own. Because you're the service provider and the business owner, um, your mentality gets stuck on being the service provider because the moment you get paid is after the service. So your brain is being trained to understand that the service drives the money. 
But the reality is, is you're running a business. And um, the sooner you can realize that your business is different than the services, um, the sooner you can open your mind up to things and understand that I actually run a business and I'm an employee in my business. Um, and I'm doing the services for the business. So you can, if you can understand that, then you can start to take in information. But if the only focus you have is about the massage and not the business that you're running, not the business that you're trying to build, then you become closed-minded. I think in my case, I'm usually looking for the competitive angle, like what allows me to leverage something that other businesses can't or won't or aren't willing to do. So I find independent therapists sometimes confusing from the sense of, I still get questions. They're like, I don't understand why you keep making these videos. Like you're not getting paid to make these videos. And I'm, I just don't understand that their mental conception of me making a YouTube video, which just gives people some basic information on how to help themselves with pain and what that does for my brand building to build a relationship with potential clients. Well, I can give a real life example. So anybody that's in the massage entrepreneur group most likely knows that I ran Boost My Spa. It was a virtual answering service that I started in March. And if you go back through the posts, few people recommended me, but there was never I, I maybe one or two posts, but out of maybe 150 posts, I rarely mentioned my business. I rarely mentioned what I do. That business grew to $4,000 a month in in clients with over 45 clients in about four months. Um, and I didn't do paid ads. I didn't do any marketing. I didn't do literally the whole business was built off of the massage entrepreneur group. Um, yeah. And if you read my posts, you'll notice I didn't pitch myself. I might have done it once or twice, but I wasn't aggressive with my pitches. I wasn't coming into the group saying, hey, hey, check me out. I'm a virtual answering service. I just gave information that was related to the businesses, to my ideal clients, people who were you know, single to four therapist rooms, and people will looked me up, and then they found out, and then they realized what I did. Then we started a conversation, or they had a question for me. They went into my messenger, and then we had a talk. And then I, you know, if I identified that they could benefit from the answering service, I would mention it. Um, but that's that's what that's how you build a business is because you built a re I built a reputation off of the knowledge that I had, and that knowledge turned into money. We'll take a quick break. Hey guys, it's Robert Gardner. I wanted you to know about our workbook and DVD sets. We have 700 pages of sequence manuals and nine DVDs of core curriculum walking you through time massage step by step. Uh, as an American therapist, a U.S. therapist, I'm showing you how to use this, this work easily and effortlessly to walk clients along to help them with chronic pain and create a practice that stands out. In addition, if you don't want to buy, you want something for free, we have the Reboot Insiders Club. I'm showing you how to reboot your massage practice for free for your first month. It is $7 a month. After that, you can unsubscribe at any time, and there's a private Facebook group that allows you to ask questions and get Get answers. You can find both of those at robertgardnerwellness.com.
Hey guys, I'm here with Robert Norbachek. And Robert, can you introduce yourself again and where they can so find you? I am a entrepreneur that ran a day spa. Uh, we went from one to over 20 therapists in four years. So continue what you were saying uh, before break. I'm just really interested to pick your brain again. You're extremely well-spoken and articulate. You have a way of putting across the information that I think some people might understand either side of the spectrum. I feel like you understand both, and you have an extremely articulate way of laying out the information so that it's comprehensible to people. You know, I, I for me, a lot of times um, – I, I do spend a you mentioned it earlier about reading books and things like that. I think there's so many tremendous books about for growing personally. And a lot of the books were very insightful in my life. And when you can take a, a complex subject and apply it to yourself, you can kind of figure out what how how it affected you. So for example, one of my favorite books is The E-Myth, The Entrepreneurial Myth. And inside that book, the guy talks about the fact that as long as you are the service provider, and for a lot of individual therapists, it's going to be scary to hear, but you actually don't have a business, you have a job. Um, and you're, you're tied down to your business because that business doesn't make money as long as you're not working. And it was the very reason my first business failed. So it didn't fail. I ran a house cleaning business and it grew to, I think about $3,500 a month in cleaning contracts. But me and my wife were actually out there hustling and cleaning the houses. It was the first business we opened up after we got laid off and we ran it for about a year. But we could never break through the next level because we never had the time to grow the business because we were always working in the business, not on the business. And that book resonates with me to this day because every business that I start today, I look at how do I replace myself so I can go work at the next level? Yep. And lots of lots of internal challenges. I completely relate to what you're discussing. I went from being a service pri- provider to an educator to having retail and digital retail and then now hosting the podcast and the layers of like personal development that have to come along with me being able to step back and manage uh, staff being able to manage the budgets to figure out where do we want the business to grow is like this arduous um, personal process as well as business process. Without a doubt, and I think the biggest thing is is you have to understand there's going to be a lot of uncomfortable situations. You're going to be put into things that you never thought you had to figure out, but at the same time, you don't have to worry about it. Like if you look back three years ago, you probably would never envision what you're working on today. And it's the same thing for me. When I took over the business, it was two rooms, one therapist. I never thought when I took over, like I thought it'd be cool just to have that two rooms filled up 60% of the time. I never thought three and a half years later, I would have uh, a front desk manager, two lead lead therapists, one for aesthetics, one for massage, running 20 therapists, doing 75,000 a month. Like I never thought that would happen. And, And then the complexities that come with that at scale but you grow into it. Like you just have to understand that when you face a new challenge, it's a challenge, and if you overcome it, you can move on to the next thing. Don't yeah. worry about the challenge three steps down the road because more than likely, you don't know that challenge anyways because it's going to yep. change. You you can't predict that challenge. If if I could, uh, you know, try, and I've tried to develop this over over time. There's always this next obstacle that I'm very anxious about. I'm overthinking it. And again, you don't always have a clear picture of exactly what's going to happen when you get there. I always try to approach it with a certain 
amount of mirth and fun and go, oh, there's a new thing. Wow, I can sit and do a Google search. I can look up some YouTube videos. How do I change my MailChimp account to do that? I didn't realize it integrated with Facebook. If I take my time and really treat it as like a fun activity to you know, learn a new thing, I have a much easier time taking on a new task that initially, you know, I was a massage therapist. Like I'm not mail list. Ugh. Like why, why would I want to deal with an email list? Now, what I find interesting is all these years later is I've actually gotten excited about the word business itself. Um, when I think about the idea of maybe becoming a consultant, um, helping small businesses grow either within or without outside the massage industry, the thing I like about it is helping people achieve their dreams. And achieving your dreams is 9 million FAQs. Mm -hmm. It's 9 million YouTube videos, things you're going to watch uh, to be able to incrementally develop a new task and understand the bigger picture of how the business is going to run. And, and your point about the MailChimp is actually very similar to how I ran my business. So most of the time, my front desk actually hated me because I treated my business <laughs> like a game. Um, Monday mornings, usually what would happen is over the weekend on a Sunday or on a flight, um, I would read a book. And that book would give me inspiration. Um, so anybody, that, so here's another good book suggestion. Anybody that wants to focus on the customer side of aspect, there's a great book called uh, Secret Service, Customer Secret Service or Secret Service by John D. Julius. Um, absolutely fantastic read. And so, for example, I would read this book, and then I would come into the office on Monday and be like, okay, here's this change for the week. I want to know if I'm right or if I'm wrong. And it became a game. Um, and Test. to this day, that's how I Test. treat my businesses. Test. It's a game. Am yeah. I right or am I wrong? And I don't take personal offense if I'm wrong. Nope. I just look at the wrong and go, okay, what's the next thing can I test? And then every yeah. week you test something. Yeah, to me, the, the thing of am I right or am I wrong, if you understand that it's not about, about being right or wrong, it's about growing the business. One of the challenges I have is once I understand something intellectually, it's very challenging for me to understand how other people don't get it. Mm -hmm. But you're constantly, I think, uh, I don't want to say at war, but I'm constantly trying to understand how my consumers think so that I can position products and services in a way to solve their problems from their level of comprehension. Yeah. And, you know, some of the best learning experiences actually come when you make a theory about how those customers should act. And you're wrong. And so you're like, why was I wrong? Um, what did I, what assumption did I make wrong that led to the wrong theory? And when you can figure, then you become almost like a, a meta test, right? Like, was this the wrong component or was this a wrong component? And once you can figure that out, then you can go back to the original question, solve that original question, and now your business has grown again exponentially. And so it, for me, it, everything was just a simple test is either it improves the business or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, I yeah. scrape it and I come up with a new test. And that's why the front desk hated me because every week they would have like a stack of papers like, here's what we're trying this week. Uh, yeah, I mean, how you build that into your company as far as the front desk staff is unknown to me. I know that the idea of running those sorts of tests is really interesting because fundamentally, again, the goal is just to build the business. It's not about right or wrong. It's about being able to test these things to see what's going to help things grow. What I find most interesting is, is when it works, it feels completely effortless. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and there's so yeah. much... 
there's so much joy behind it too. Like you sit there and you're like, and, and sometimes even the stupidest ideas, you're just like, this shouldn't work, but I'm going to try it anyways. <laughs> and then it works. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why did that? I, I, and then you're just like, ah, it yeah. worked. I'm, I'm happy with it. Well, <laughs> well when, when you talk about that, I, I, I explore this conceptually. And I think, you know, sometimes you have to have infrastructure to deliver a product or a service. I think some of it is interesting because you keep looking at it rationally. And then you get to a point where you realize people buy things for emotional reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I get an oil change because I need an oil change. That's a logical decision. But who I go to to change my oil can often be an emotional decision. And looking at emotional decision making and then trying to extrapolate, you know, how to provide products or services and understanding your customers' uh, psychology, their emotions, uh, what pulls on their heartstrings is this ongoing um, issue, I think, for all businesses. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, most marketers are, you don't actually ever figure out what you're, majority of your customers think it's impossible um you end up just playing a game of averages um again numbers is one of those beautiful things that they'll never lie to you so if you write if you write a a post on a facebook page and nobody engages with you nobody likes it nobody comments on it um you know that that specific comment didn't work but if i look at who liked my post massage entrepreneurs Every single day, it's a unique subset of that group. Um, some days I hit a chord with some people. Some days I hit a chord with other people. And that's kind of what marketing is really like. You're just trying to play a game of averages where ultimately if you reach 100 people, 10 people are going to be interested. Um Maybe 20 people if you're really good. And that's ultimately the game you're playing. You're not trying to sell everybody. Um, you're just trying to figure out which is the biggest pool of what works? I could sit and discuss this stuff for three hours at least. <laughs> I, I completely geek out about it. And it's not something that came naturally to me by any means. Like the, the entire portion of business is something that I had to incrementally develop. Like I was like I was sculpting marble and chipping away, you know, with a uh, tools to be able to sculpt. Um, it's something that is this, I think, arduous task in some way. I'm always interested when I see people who just, just have a natural gift for gab or just naturally good at sales. It is not something that comes naturally to me. It's something that I had to kind of infuse into this art form that I was trying to provide as a service. Well, for me, I, I, I was, I've had a very strange career life. Um, I went to, <clears throat> I went to school to be a computer programmer. So I originally started as a geek. And then when I was 18 years old, my father, um, owned a swimming pool company and he, he sent me out on a couple sales quote jobs because I could draw the pools. And then I kind of enjoyed talking to customers. So I asked if I could do the sales job myself. And that started my career in sales. Um, then I went into business to consumer sales, selling swimming pools, and then business to business, selling uh, daily deals. And so that kind of kickstarted it. And then 
when I was selling the daily deals, that was my first taste of like the impacts of marketing. So a little quick, funny story, like the first most miraculous moment, like eye awakening moment I've ever had in my life with marketing is something called social proof. Um, we ran a daily deal site and, uh, with a company I worked for KGB deals. I realized that if there were sales on the deal by six 30 in the morning, the deals would go. So I didn't realize that at that time it was called social proof. I just notice the pattern that if there was three sales on the deal by 630 in the morning, people would buy it. And even if the deal was identical or not, like we ran two deals. And if it, if one didn't take off in the morning, it didn't take off period. And so I realized like the most joyous moment of my marketing career, this is like the first time I understood marketing. I would wake up at 620 in the morning and buy the deal. I would artificially inflate the sales just to create viralness. And that would pay off. Like I would see deals skyrocket, deals that would normally fail. All of a sudden we're selling, you know, not 10 to 15, but they would sell a hundred of these deals. And it's all because of that initial social proof that I self kind of hacked together. And that was like the most eye-awakening moment. And it's so fun that you, you, you look back at those little baby steps and you're like, and then you look at where you are today and the growth that happens throughout that process. Yeah. The, uh, the steering of customers the the art of either an online funnels or in person funnel of walking a person along to be able to almost steer a certain behavior in our case i mean purchasing a product or a service it's amazing because i think you said this in a post recently like people love to buy but they hate being sold to mhm that what you said yep it's actually a, a sales quote from Jeffrey Gitmer. It, it's uh, when I was in swimming pool sales, I actually realized this very quickly that I was, since I knew how to draw, I would draw with the computer in person with a customer. But then I would take the sales process one step further. I would actually go into the backyard with them and I would have them envision the pool there. So we would take spray paint, we would lay it out. You know, most of the other salespeople would do 30-minute appointments. My appointments lasted two hours. Um, because by the time I was done after two hours, I wasn't forcing a pool onto them. They already envisioned the pool that was in their backyard. They already envisioned the barbecue that they're going to be having because um, I'm, I'm a salesperson, so I made them envision that, right? So I talked to them, you know, throughout the two hours like, Hey, so who's, who's, where's the, what, what's going to be the first party or this? So I got them to think about these visions. So by the time we sat down to sit, write the contract, that two hour appointment, they weren't no longer being sold a pool. They were buying their vision because I, we morphed that. And so for an individual therapist, um, this analogy would be the same thing if you showed your customers how they can start achieving the same things in, in, in their life that they want to. Um, so if, if you have a golfer that comes in with a bad back, show him that he can start swinging his back better because now he's not buying a massage. You're not selling him a massage. He's buying his golf swing back and that, and he's yep. going to love that. Um, that's so, a really, so can, really hard thing for therapists to grasp. Sorry to me to cut you off. Oh, uh, it's all good. <laughs> okay. So we'll take a quick break. Hold on to that. I thought.
Hey guys, it's Robert Gardner, and I wanted to let you know about our workbook and DVD sets. We have 700 pages of sequence manuals and nine DVDs of core content where I'm going to walk you through how to help your clients in chronic pain from the table to the mat and build a practice that really sizzles. If you want something that's absolutely free, you just want to test out what I'm talking about, we have the Reboot Insiders Club. You're going to get access to a private Facebook group and a vault of video with 450 hours of my class recordings. That is absolutely free for your first month, $7 a month thereafter, and you can unsubscribe at any time. You can find both of those at robertgardnerwellness.com. And Robert Norbachek, can you tell them again where they can find you and then continue what you were discussing? Yeah, so check me out in the Massage Entrepreneur Group. Hit me up on Messenger if you have any questions about your own practice, if you just want to talk. Um, easiest way to find me. And going back to what we are talking about, the best thing you can do as a therapist is to help your customer. Don't focus on what the massage is actually doing, right? So in, in marketing, we have an analogy. People don't buy a quarter-inch drill. They buy a quarter-inch hole. Um, yep. And so the same thing goes for your practice. You're, you're not selling a massage. You're not selling muscle relief. Think the next step. What does that muscle relief actually give that customer? Does that give them a better golf swing? Um, does it help them run better? Does them help them maybe hit a personal record in CrossFit or something like that? If you can figure out what that is, whatever that is, then you're no longer like there's no more holding back the customer from buying everything that they want. You're selling the customer their dreams. Yeah. yeah. That's ultimately what and, it and is. It's a, it's a weird, it's a very difficult conversation to have with massage therapists because they always go, but I, I sell massage. And I go, ooh, no. You know, sell them the state of mind they're, they're going to achieve, like meditation because of the session. Sell them, you said golf swing. Sell them you know, what their relationships are going to look like because they're calm, attuned, and attentive. Sell the entrepreneur the sort of mental clarity he needs to run his business. And they start going, I don't, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> it's, it's so true because at the, I, the, the, the massage is the vehicle to the dream. Um, and if you, if you don't think you're a salesperson, I mean, ultimately, even if you're a massage therapist and your dream is to help people feel better, well, they feel better when they're doing their dream. So just tie it back to their dream. Like that's ultimately like, yeah, I, I understand you you want to help people feel better, but that is what they where where they feel better. So sell them that, and then you can help them. You can be the healer you want to be um, because you do have that person on the table, and now you're speaking their language. I always wonder with individuals visual therapists, I think they can't see far enough down the road um, out of poverty, having a full practice to think about what's next. Like if I talk to a therapist, they're struggling just to build a private practice. They can't really think about renting space, taking on independent contractors, opening a clinic or facility and having employees because they're like, why, you know, I just want to have a full practice. And I go, that's not even work. To, to me, it seems like it seems like it's very, very easy to build that. Like you said, what is it, forty or hundred, you know, clients? But 
I always try to get them to think larger about, you know, are they going to be satisfied just seeing clients? Is that the only thing that they want to do or do they actually want to build a larger dream? Because I think it helps them chart like a, a longer navigation instead of um, just thinking about this this one point of success. Like the only thing they'll be satisfied with is just having a full practice. If they're anything like most therapists I've dealt with, once they start booking 50 to 75% of the time, that's when it really kicks in and they go, oh, wait a second. I'm going to max out. I can't make any more income. How do I grow uh, past, you know, how do I go to that next level? And, and I think one of the biggest fallacies in this industry is, and I hear it quite commonly, is I don't want to think about, like you said, I, I don't want to think about ICs until I hit 100% booking or something like that. The problem is, is, is it's the... It's the, the economies of scale. So if you look at a schedule on a week, you're going to have hot times and you're going to have cold times, times that you can never fill out and times that you can always sell out. The problem is, is if you're trying to achieve 100% or 80% or 70%, whatever the number is, as you start to approach that time, it becomes harder and harder because you no longer have the hot times to fill out. You only have the cold times to fill out. And so you become stuck in this cycle where you finally get to where you want to be, but then you are out of time because you're working too much. So you end up not doing the marketing that was essential for you to, to grow. You fall back down and then you go back up, fall back down, go back up, and you're stuck in this cycle. Uh the biggest problem is is if you, because you're working so much in the business that you can't continue to do that marketing. If you sacrifice yourself for a month or two, then you can break through to the next level and then finally hire an IC because you realize, well, you know what? I'm turning away 10, 15 appointments a week. That's enough to pick up an IC to cover two days a week or three days a week part-time at least to start. And then that opens up your next door. The Students that I talk with, the colleagues who are massage therapists, they sometimes say they have you know unique challenges, and they say, "Well, how do I do you know X Y Z?" And I always go back to get it done. Listen, I I don't know in all instances you know your market, your facility, your real estate location, situation, services, duration of services can be completely different. Menu of services, it's like. When you bump up against a challenge, you just have to continue figuring out you're going to go over, under, around, or through. But mm -hmm. of those four, you have to keep cracking at it to be able to figure it out. And what I also think is people learn a lot from adversity. Um, I wonder sometimes, like if you just had the gift of gab, you're just wonderful at sales, do you really learn much about the process? But when you're bad at it and it doesn't work... And then you try it a hundred times and it eventually, you know, cracks and the light comes in. You go, oh, like you, you learn so much about the sales or acquisition process from the things that are challenges. Without a doubt. I mean, it, it's, you know, going back to your first statement, I mean, there was multiple times uh, in, in our business where we had a lot of hurdles. Um and, you know, like, for example, one of the big hurdles we had was we were starting to get choked up with the amount of services we could do on the weekends. And so we had to figure out a way 
to expand our business. We didn't really have deep pockets. You know, we were at that point without a career for a year and a half running a, a makeshift business. Um, and but we figured it out. You know, we we makeshift. Like I went on Craigslist and I found electric tables for discounted prices. And you know, we made our own furniture at one point. Um, you know, you, you just push through it. Like there, if you have enough will, um, you're going to keep going against that wall. And like you said. It's something's going to break. Either you're going to break through the wall, you're going to go around it, under it, over it. And then once you get to the other side, you realize you've got a brand new runway. And it's so fun when you hit that runway because it feels like you've got a fresh new wind in you and you want to just keep pushing more. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the things I've done in business, to be completely frank, I'm not smarter than other people. I don't have more neuroplasticity. I'm not more innovative or brilliant. I'm just. 10 times as stubborn <laughs> and willing to keep, you know, hacking away at it. Like I almost uh, thrive in a situation where somebody says I can't do something. I'm like, Oh really? Oh, I know what I'm doing for the next five years. <laughs> oh, well, have we ever, I mean, everybody's in here has seen the, those memes or those pictures of the startups journey. Like people don't realize, but the story of Zappos, the guy made a hundred, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but he made like, $100 million. Then he blew all that money away to invest into Zappos. He ended up selling his penthouse just so he could reinvest into Zappos. He was basically about to go broke from reinvesting into Zappos. And then finally, he broke through and then became a billionaire. Like, yeah, he became a billionaire, but he also went from like $50 <laughs> million down to nothing trying to become yeah. a billionaire. So you have to be stubborn. Business is built. Yeah, it's just absolutely. it's just something that you have to try, try again, deal with ongoing testing, and then just figure it out as you go. I usually encourage businesses, small businesses, independents, or you know whatever, uh, to just make take small incremental risks. Don't bet the whole house. You know, don't no. don't have to. You know, like. You don't have to, how do I put this? You don't have to remortgage your house necessarily to build the sort of businesses that we're trying to deal with, especially when I'm dealing with independent practitioners. You know, don't bet the house, but you have to take incremental risks and you have to take incremental tasks and learning new skills to be able to continue building. I mentioned this on, on a, I think, on a financial post, but don't bet on the house until you're confident um, that you can do it. Like, you need some wins under your belt. Um, start small. Nobody walks into to, uh, Bellagio and drops $1,000 on blackjack the first night on a $1,000 minimum bet. Um, even the pros start at $1.225s and then they move up. Um, once you get the confidence under your belt, um, you know, then, then you can start you know, taking more serious risks um, like we did. We took a big leap of faith on ourselves to expand from 1,200 to 3,600 square feet. Um, but by that point, I was already running the business for nine months and I already had a track record of growth. So there was risk, but it was calculated risk. Calculated. That's it. Exactly. So Robert, one last time, can you tell them where they can contact you? Yeah, just check me out on the Massage Entrepreneurs group uh, or hit me up on Messenger. 
Cool. Robert Norbachek, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your expertise. It was a great conversation. I look forward to having you on again so we can go into more niched topics. If you have specific ideas for what you'd like to discuss, just let me know. Sounds good. Thank you for having me on today. You're welcome. You have a great day. Thank you so much.